This is Work of the Beat. It is Wednesday, May 6, 2020. I'm Kevin Jimmy with Mike Kern. Glad you could join us. Mike will join us in a few seconds as we talk about the world of sports on this Wednesday. Is life slowly starting to return to normal as businesses are returning the normal or are starting to reopen, not returning the normal. It will be a while before it is back to normal here on the coronavirus front. But as in this part of the country, some of the numbers decline of hospitalizations and, um, and uh, deaths, um, thankfully on this end, other parts of the country, not as fortunate at this point. Um, the big debate about when the reopen and when the reopen sports is going to come front and center. So, uh, we will talk though to a baseball legend in this area. Uh, there is no doubt Larry Boa is one of those names that has tied through multiple generations of the Phillies, whether as a coach, uh, obviously the greatest shortstop in Phillies history until the last generation obviously Jimmy Rollins would make a claim but he Larry was pretty much undisputed as the greatest up until that point so we'll talk to Larry Bo about his career what it's like for the baseball lifer to not have baseball right now unless he's staying up into the middle of the night to watch the Korean League on ESPN at this point so we'll talk all things with Larry and uh, get a feel for where his mind is as we get in the May and you know, the conversation starts to take place, whether baseball can resume. Uh, July 1st is the date that's being bandied about now. Or, um, you know, talk of a three or four week spring training, but uh, even in home sites, uh, which would be interesting. Uh, you know, and how do you balance, you know, ballparks or states that wouldn't even be open to a fanless summer? So it'll be interesting to talk to Larry about all that stuff. And we'll do that in a few minutes. Want to give you an update on where we're going with this show in the next couple weeks. Only one show this week. Um, Had to catch up on some things around here. Uh, I'm doing some grad school work, so I have some projects due. Also, I had a little bit of a computer issue. So uh, do one show this week, but we're back to two next week. And Bob Costa, or Robert Costa, excuse me, uh, from the Washington Post. um, The National Political Reporter is going to join us next week. And Robert is fascinating, and you're thinking, well, why are they bringing a political reporter on? Okay, Robert is a Pensbury High grad. He has is maybe the big one of the biggest Phillies fans I've known. Uh, used to run into him in Washington a lot uh, when Phillies were playing the Nationals. He also, if he's the host of Washington Week on PBS, and uh, he is the the week after the Eagles won the Super Bowl, he penned a great essay about what the Eagles organization meant to him that aired on that program. So we want to talk Phillies and Eagles, but also the political aspect of when do you reopen sports? Because it's pretty clear. I mean, um, Mitch McConnell and, you know, the White House, uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and the White House have all made it expressed clear that they want uh, sports to return that the country needed to get back. And so um, there's political connections here and robert will go over them with us uh next week and just talk about kind of the landscape uh he feels in the country at this point point. and then on friday of next week uh 
Bob Ford, the longtime columnist from the Philadelphia Inquirer, who literally just retired uh, on Wednesday, had his final story for the Inquirer run. Uh, we'll talk to him about his career and kind of how he see thing, he sees things uh, going forward here. So that is, we got Robert and Bob next week here on the podcast, and we're looking forward to it. Uh, so and it should be an interesting week. But when we come back, Mike Kern will rejoin me, and we will talk to the great Larry Boa, the Phillies, one of the Phillies Wall of Famers. He joins us next here on Work on the Beat. Right after sports fans of Philadelphia in a brand new way. This is Kevin Cooney. Each week, the Work of the Beat podcast with Mike Kern and I brings the hottest topics into this sports crazed town with the people and the events that shape the landscape. Now, your business could connect with those people by advertising on the Work of the Beat podcast. Join us at 267-546-7277 or email us at workingthebeat at gmail.com to find out how you can reach out to this growing audience. It's the best sports talk in Philadelphia, and you can be a part of it. That's 267-546-7277 or workinthebeat at gmail.com to join the Work in the Beat podcast family. And joining us now, one of the members of the Phillies Wall of Fame, has been an organizational fixture since the 1970s. Uh, there was an interruption or two in there, but we're not going to talk about that. Uh, and it is the honor to have this man on. It's Larry Bell. Larry, how you doing? Uh, I'm hanging in there guys. Uh, you know, trying to get, trying to get through it. So, uh, obviously it's something different, but, uh, we got to stay patient and be safe and, uh, see what happens. You are, you've been a baseball lifer and you've been connected with the sport for so long. And even the years where you weren't coaching or managing, you were broadcasting. What has this been like for you this year? Not having, you know, having April and May open where you're not watching ball games every night. I, I've never been through it. I mean, it's, I mean, there's a big void. There's no question about that. Uh, matter of fact, I, I stayed up the other night just to watch a Korean game. I just want, <laughs> I want to see some baseball. You know, I've watched all the replays and all the big games, and uh, especially when they've had a few of our games uh, when we played the, the 23 22 game, the World Series. And, but, you know, after a while, you know, you know the outcome of it. So it was good just to watch, even though, uh, you know, the caliber of, of baseball over there is probably a little bit below AAA, I guess, pitching-wise. But uh, it was sort of fun just watching it. Mike? Larry, as a player, you know these guys want to do what they do. I mean, that's, right. you know, we all want to get back to doing what we do. How worried do you think, or how, how much do you think they're worried, though, if it's back and it's not done safely or not done the right way, that they could be in some kind of, you know, danger. Uh, no question. That's a that's a great question. But I, I think they are worried. Uh, you know, you, you, it's it's not like it's just one age bracket. I mean, you see healthy people that go in on a Monday and uh, and on Thursday they're in intensive care, and you know it's 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 scary. It really is scary. I mean, you see people that are in great condition getting this this uh, disease and. Uh, so there's, there's definitely concerns, you know, and, the, and if you're going to do that, as you you guys both followed sports for a long time, and even just in a spring training, when a guy comes in and he has the flu, they get him out of there real quick, just the regular flu. But before you know it, 10, 11 guys have the flu in the next four or five days. So, you know, that's going to be a big concern is to worry about if one guy 
catches it, I mean, then what happens to the whole baseball team? So I'm sure it's on everybody's mind, and uh, it, it rightfully it should be. Larry, about yeah. I, I, I guess I guess oh, I'm sorry, Kevin. No, go ahead. If you ever thought about what it would be like to play in stadiums where there's no fans? No, but I, I've had that. You know, when I first got uh, invited to a big league camp, in fact, Gene Mock was the manager. They used to back then. They used to have D games like at nine o'clock, nine thirty. So the guys that are didn't, didn't have a chance of making the team their first year. They were the guys that played, and that was really strange. I mean, I remember that. It was like if you yell, say something, it echoes through the whole ballpark. Nobody, hardly anybody in the stands. So that's going to be something. You know, you know. I, I just think, especially in a city like Philadelphia, where you get motivated by the fans. You get motivated motivated by you know, their enthusiasm, their energy when you take the field. And to have that not in the stands, I'm sure that it's going to be a bit different for these guys if we do get back to play and, and there's nobody in the stands. Well, and, my, uh, and uh, you know, Larry, I'll, I'll mention this. I mean, we've both been in, in Miami, either at, right. at the football stadium or anything, and there were nights where you would sit there and you would almost become a zombie watching a game because there's no and, – and your team – and you know this as a manager when you were – with the Phillies, it's tough to get your team fired up to playing atmospheres like that, isn't it? No, no question. You know, I, I think that initially, like I said, if we get back, I keep using the word if because nobody knows right now. But if we do get back, I think the first uh, maybe two weeks, once the game start, there's going to be a lot of energy because guys are back into it and they want to play. And then after a while, they're going to start taking the field, you know, and nobody's in the stands and it's going to be hard to get get motivated. I mean, even though they love baseball, we all love baseball. Fans do something for you. They, they, they light a fuse under you. They get you going, uh, whether they're booing, whether they're cheering, it's just the atmosphere that you used to playing in front of. Larry Boa joins us. Larry, uh, you were in Clearwater, obviously when all this went down, uh, right back in, in, and I was there the week before everything shut down. And there was a different feel about this team. I thought this year, than there was the last couple of years. And, and you gave a lot of credit to Joe Girardi about that. What did you see about that team in camp that you like so much? I just like the way that, that, uh, that Joe basically, you know, when a guy comes over with the credentials that he does, you know, managing in New York, obviously the world series, winning world series games, uh, that that's instant credibility right away. And he was very organized. Um, he got along great with the, with everybody on the ball club. He, he communicates unbelievable. Uh, spring training was very organized. There was no idle time, no standing around. Uh, we got our work in. We got out of there. We stressed fundamentals probably more this year than we have the last four or five years. Um, and I, I, it was a feel that I think the guys finally felt that, you know, this team has been underachieving and it's time it's time to turn it up and, and go to another gear. And I, I did that. It was a good vibe. It was really good. You know, I don't really look at wins and losses in spring training. It's just the way we went about our business. That was impressive. And, uh, I just liked the, the, the chemistry that we were, that Joe and, and the staff were, were, uh, basically they incorporated in the clubhouse. It was very positive from the very first day to the day we had to leave. Mike. Yeah. If they do wind up playing, and I, my guess is that they probably will in one shape, form, whatever, um, 
what do you think, Larry, you know, and, and there are things we can't, you know, figure out what's going to happen, but what are two or three keys do you think that would have to happen with this team to be like a legit playoff contender, which I think is not well, wrong to think with Girardi as the manager? No, I don't think. In fact, that would be, you know, if, if we'd have started on time, I'd have been very disappointed if, if we didn't get to the playoffs. I mean, that's how I felt about this team. I think one of the elements, obviously, is going to be the bullpen, especially now. I mean, this is going to be a speed-up spring training if we do go back. Pitchers aren't going to be stretched out. So you're going to have to rely on your bullpen. Obviously, the rosters will probably be expanded. I don't know to how many. So you'll be relying on that bullpen. You'll have some starters maybe piggybacking. So I, I got to say the pitching is going to be the key. I like our lineup. I really like our lineup. Uh, and I don't think that the everyday players – I think they can be ready in two weeks. I really do. But as far as the pitchers go, and we all know this, it takes longer for pitchers, uh, and they're going to have to almost start from scratch again. So you're not going to have a lot of pitchers, starting pitchers, go deep in the game. So the bullpen is going to play big for every team, not just the Phillies. Uh, so you think, Larry, that this could be a high 80, 90 win? Kind of yeah. I mean, if they were playing 162 games, obviously. It could, have been, it could be that kind of team. Yeah, in fact, if we didn't win 90, I would have been disappointed. I, I, I mean, again, you know, we can't we can't look into the crystal ball and say, oh, God, I hope Wheeler doesn't go down, or I hope Nola does. You know, barring any injuries, I, I think this team is capable of winning 90-plus baseball games. Uh, and, you know, I, I like our pitching. Uh, I liked it anyway before we left spring training. Uh, I thought our, our rotation was going to be solid. It looked like uh, Arietta was, was all right. He was healthy. Eflin really had a good second half and, and the addition of Wheeler. I mean, that's huge for a baseball team. And of course, Nola is Nola. He's, you know, he's the top of the guy, top of the rotation guy. Uh, Sir Anthony obviously is a big question mark and doesn't sound like uh, we don't know what's going on there, but it doesn't sound like you can count on him. And Hunter was hurt, but from what I understand, he's all right now. So the bullpen is going to be huge for us. And, um, I do think we're going to score some runs. I like our lineup the way it is. I like Kingery playing second base. I thought Segura did a good job when he moved over to third. He was all in on it, and that was big. And and Didi Gregorius really brings a lot to the table. I know people are saying we got two or three hits in spring training. I, I, you know, I don't worry about that stuff. He was healthy. He's going to play a good, solid shortstop. He's going to hit. Uh, I look for Hoskins to bounce back, and we know Hart, what he can do. And it sounds like McCutcheon, if we do get started, will be ready to go. And, of course, the Real Muto, who I think is the best catcher in baseball, that's a pretty solid lineup from top to bottom. There's no really easy outs in that lineup. Larry Boa joins us. Larry, I mean, uh, by the way, I should I should point out a tweet you put out today for National Nurses Day, and you thanked uh, Nikki. Is is Nikki your daughter? No, Nikki is John Vukovic's daughter. Oh, okay. I, I kn- uh, Yep, yep, and she, she does a tremendous job. And, and a super person. And I take, I know she's mad because I did that. I'm sure she is because we keep in touch a lot, but you know, she's very humble and, uh, but you know, people like that, they deserve credit. And they're the ones that you take your hat off, tip your hat to what they're going through right now. Uh, honoring national nurses. They, uh, obviously, which is, uh, actually it's national nurses week, I think all week here. So right. should, should be that every day. Larry, when you, we, Mike and I have mentioned this in the past, your generation of players, a decent amount of players on all four teams in this town stuck around and you're one of them who stuck right. around in this area and made this your home. I mean, you're from California. Right. You made this your home year round. Uh, yes. 
what was it that what that that, that kept you here? You know, like yeah. It, I, you know, I, I to this day I still say that if I didn't play in Philadelphia, I might not have played in the big leagues for two or three years, maybe just two or three years in the big leagues. I, it, it's a city that I can relate to. It's a blue collar city. They work hard. The fans are unbelievable. I mean, do they get on you sometimes? Yeah. You know what though? That's part of sports. And if you can't deal with that, it took this city taught me a lot about being mentally tough and mentally strong and coming to the park every day and being prepared. Now, the outcome might not have looked like you're prepared, but mentally and physically, if you're ready to go, there's going to be games where you have 0 for 4, make an error. But the bottom line is that if you give them effort every night and play nine innings and 27 outs, this is what it's all about. This is how I was raised. My dad was a blue-collar uh, work uh, when he played. He, you know, he got his highest AAA he managed. Uh, but he was a guy that once he quit baseball, he had two jobs all the time, supporting the family. And I don't know. I just it it this sort of galvanized me when I came here. And I really never I go back, still go back home and visit family back there. But this is home. It's been home for since 1970, and it's something that you know I look forward to the change of seasons. People look at you. What do you want to stay on the East Coast for? You know I like it here. I I really like it. I've met a lot of great people, not only in baseball but other than baseball and the city has opened their arms for me. They, the Phillies gave me the opportunity to play baseball. I took advantage of it and I consider this my home now. And, and I mean, it's not just you. I mean, you had, you know, obviously Christensen stayed here. Bull right. stayed here. Tugger right. was here for a long time yep. uh, before he passed away. I mean, right. And, and you look, you look at the flyers of that era, obviously with, with Ed Snyder, was a large catalyst of it. It just seemed like that generation really took because maybe yeah. the atmosphere at the time. Exactly. And, and you know, the other thing, and, and, and this is not, I don't mean to downgrade what's happening now in sports, but when we played, you literally, you hung out after games in the clubhouse and you talked baseball, you didn't get out of there in five minutes. You didn't stay and not face the media. The only guy that didn't do that on our team was lefty, but he was consistent, but you know, you face the music, but, but, you had that bond, you know, that we came up together. A lot of us came up together through the minor leagues, which I thought was very important. Uh, we learned how to win together. We learned how to lose together. We went through some tough times in the early 70s. And then we put everything together and finally got over the hump in 80. But those teams back there, I remember going out and, and on a Sunday, if we had a Sunday day game, we would go across the street right after the game to watch the Flyers play that particular night. And there were a lot of times early in the year, when the Flyers were, were not, re- not going to camp yet, they would come and watch us play. And we obviously, we, we lockered next to the Eagles. Uh, Herm Edwards uh, was a good friend of mine. Uh, Vince Papale, Jaworski, all those guys. And, and literally, the only thing that separated us and the Eagles was a shower. But uh, <laughs> That's true. It was, it was like that. There was like that. It was a friendly competitiveness that we pushed each other as a team. We put, we knew the Flyers were good. We knew the Eagles were good. And that, that one year, if you look back, which is very difficult to do, every single team got to the finals. The Sixers, eighty, yeah, yes. I mean that is very difficult. You might not ever see that again, but but that was something everybody wanted to outdo the other team. But it was a friendly type of competition. Mike, and Larry, didn't some, didn't some of that too have to do? Times have changed. Obviously, athletes have yep. a lot more money now. Right. Not as, I always thought that you guys back then, because I would have been like you know twenty. Right. Had a special bond with us. 
I know the Flyers did. I know, yep. and not just because of the winning. I mean, the winning has something to do with it. Right. But it was just like you were kind of one of us. Yeah, well, I mean, that's how we felt, basically. And, you know, the, and let's be honest. The other thing, like you said, the money, obviously, is a lot different now. So when we first came up, I'm talking about in seven early 70s, you know, the minimum, I don't, I don't even know what the minimum was. But we hung out during the winter because we knew we could get go to banquets and do things. We had an alumni basketball team. We'd play uh, different high schools. Their alumni would play us. We would travel these cities around here, uh, maybe an hour, hour and a half away. We had a lot of fun doing that stuff. But the bottom line is, you know, we, we got to be, we were able to stay together. We got to do, make some money doing some banquets. We made some money playing some basketball games and we sort of just hung out after that. And uh, like you said, it was, it was something that I don't think you're ever going to see that here. I don't think you're going to see 10 guys live here, you know, make their home here when they're done playing. Larry Boa joins us. Larry, I know there's been talk that this year could be an experimental year with the game and different changes that, you could, you know, because the season will be so shortened or, you know, right. if you're going to try some, if you could change one thing about the game right now, what would you change? The only thing I would, I, you know, I, I think this is a great game. And I think sometimes we go a little bit overboard I, trying to change it. You're and, preaching to the choir here. On that you know, and I, and, yeah. I, and I, you know, I know people are going to say, oh, that's old school. It's not old school. It's baseball. You know, this is, this game has been very successful the way it's been played. But if I could do one thing, one thing. I would either have the DH for both leagues or don't have it. You know, mm-hmm. this, this having DH in the national, I mean, American league and not having it in the national league, I think we could get consistent here and I'll be the first to admit at first I was against it, but watching uh, pitchers, they hit a ground ball. They blow out a hamstring. They try to slide into second. They hurt their ankle, you know, let keep them out of the batter's box, keep them in the dugout, let them pitch. Plus, it'll open up a spot for somebody that can swing the bat a little bit in the National League. And for consistency, I would like to see that you either have it or you don't have it. And and that's something. Okay, Mike. No, go ahead. No, and that's something like you're talking, Larry. When you were playing, you had a every team had a good hitting pitcher. Lefty was yeah, a did. good hitting pitcher. Um, yep. Christensen was Christensen was a good hitting pitcher. Yeah, uh, he was. Now, I mean, if you see somebody like Bumgarner, it, it's it's almost a blue snow event. I mean, it, you know, somebody who can really like make contact and not be the automatic out. You're right. I mean, it, and a lot of that is because you know, I thought when I was when I did this new gig now, but was special assistant. When they go on the road, I go watch our minor league. So I figure every time I go to uh, Lehigh Valley or Reading, that if it's a National League team. The pitchers hit, but it doesn't work that way anymore. I no. mean, sometimes it does. Sometimes they, you know. So if it was more, even if it was more consistent. So a lot of these guys, as soon as they leave college or when they get to college, they don't pick up a bat. Let's no. face it, they don't swing a bat. Colleges they have the DH, they don't they don't swing. So now you're asking them to come to the big leagues and lay down a bunt or put a good at bat together. It'd be very difficult to do. I mean, and I understand that because they don't get to do that. They don't get to swing the bat when they're coming through the minor leagues or even when they're playing college ball now. You were a manager. How would you have felt about the, the three, the three hitter rule that relievers now have to uh, go with this year? Well, that's going to, it's going to make the strategy a little bit different. There's no question about that. Uh, I, I sort of like it. I, the, the, the thing that 
the the reason I say I sort of like it because the last two years I've been watching the month of September. Oh, it's bad. Which games <laughs> are five hours? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't care if it's two to one or nine to eight. You have a left-hander coming in, another left right-hander now bringing the left hand, bringing the right, and it's getting out of hand that way. I mean, it's people don't want to keep watching that. So now you got to face three hitters. Now the only drawback on this is, just say you bring a pitcher in to pitch, say get out of the inning. He's got two outs, so he gets out of the inning, but the hitter maybe fouls off some pitches. He ends up throwing 12 or 13 pitches. Now you send him out there again and say he runs into a high pitch count. You know, you, you got a reliever that maybe going to throw 40, 45 pitches that could down the road hurt you a little bit, but strategy wise managers are going to have to think a little bit about that. I mean, do you want a left-hander come in and face two right-handers just to, and make sure that the left-hander faces Bryce Harper? So that's, that's going to be a big question mark. So, it's going to change the strategy, but I think it, it's going to help speed up the game a little bit. You were not big on specialization, if I remember right, back in those, you know, back no. in the you were you were willing to let a guy kind of have an inning, but you weren't big on lefty righty lefty no. righty. You know, three pitchers to get you know, you know get through four hitters that kind right. of thing. So I I I think that's just a byproduct of the analytics, don't you? Yeah, there's no question about that. I mean, let's face it, the game has changed a lot with the analytics. And I'll be the first to tell you, I think there's a lot of good stuff in analytics, but I also think there's a lot of overkill. I mean, we got kids in A-ball, and they're stressing analytics. And, you know, when you first put on a a minor league uniform and you come from Venezuela or the Dominican or Puerto Rico, you know, everything's foreign to you. Now, all of a sudden, you're you're teaching them about launch angle and exit velocity – Sometimes you got to let these kids play. Now, if you want to sophisticate a little more when they get to double A or triple A, I'm all for that. But I think when kids first sign 17, 18 years old, let them play and let, and you guys analyze what they're good at and what they're not good at. We have a tendency to put too much on their plate at such a young age. And there's a lot of pressure on these kids that come over here from different countries. They don't speak English and you know, everything is, is now uh, documented. Oh, your launch angle was only this, or your exit velocity was this. And, and kids get embarrassed by that. So I, I think the best thing for us we can do as, as an industry, I'm not talking just the Phillies, let these young kids play, let them establish themselves, let them let you know what they can do and what they can't do. And I, I think it, it would end up being better for the young kids coming up through the system. Mike. Yeah. Larry, something I've wanted to ask you for a long time, and so I'm going to ask you. In the mid-'80s, I, I had to do a story for the Daily News about Hall of Fame prospects for a lot of the Philly guys. You know, we knew Carlton was getting his right. shit, Rose and Bob Boone and, and you, and there's a couple right. others. I can't remember. And I've always thought, and this is me, maybe being prejudiced or biased, that you, you and Concepcion, to me, before Ozzy came along, you were the two best shortstops in the league. I know you guys used to tease each other. Right, right. You finished your career with 2,000 hits. You finished with the highest fielding percentage, I believe, for a shortstop when you retired. Right. And you played on a lot of division winners and a world championship team. Do you ever think that maybe, and I know it's hard to talk about yourself, but maybe you and even Concepcion, to that matter, maybe should have gotten a little bit more consideration when people still remembered who you were? Yeah, I thought that's that's a good question. You know, I, I really, when I first came up, I, I didn't even think about Hall of Fame. Right? I just tried to make, make the team and play one day <laughs> when I first came <laughs> up. But, you know, when I look back on my career, and then, I, you know, I, and I look up, 
you know, let's face it, the game has definitely changed as far as numbers and everything like that. But I looked up uh, uh, Pee Wee Reese. I looked up uh, uh, Louis Aparicio. I looked up these guys that are that are in the Hall of Fame. And and you you know you look at you try to compare numbers and you say, wow, you know, I I, I did some of those things. But again, yeah. it's where you play and and uh, what team you played on. And, and I get it. You know, it, it's it's a very select group that make it. And just to be, people ask me that question a lot. It's an honor for them to ask me that question because, like I said, I, I don't know. I, I thought during, everyone tells me during your 10-year span, if you guys were, whoever it was, was the elite at that position, they would consider you. And, and like yeah. you said, Davey and I, I thought were the two best shortstops going through that 10-year period. And How we did have a Davey, Larry. Because people forget about him because he played on that great team. He was good. He got all those, but he was really good, right? He was real good. I mean, real good. And I, I wouldn't even, it wouldn't even bother me if Davey went in and, and, you know, and I still remain where I'm at because I thought Davey was a Hall of Fame player. And he was, you know, but again, like you said, they had all those superstars on that team, but he was a big cog in that lineup. He caught the ball. He got big hits for him. He could steal bases. He made all the plays. Uh, but again, you know, it changes every time now the hall of fame and you don't know what they're looking at. And obviously now it's home runs and RBIs and things like that, because everything's different. The parks are smaller. Uh, I don't think rotations are as deep, you know, pitchers pitch every fifth day. Uh, right. so, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's how you perceive it really. But can I, the fact that you asked that question, it's, it's an honor for me to even talk about that because like I said, when I first came up, if I, if I played a day, I would have been happy. You know, then I start playing. I got maybe a half a year. And I said, man, if I could get a year in. And, you know, I ended up playing 17 years, 16 years. So I, I'm very satisfied with how my career ended up. And it would have been an honor. But, you know, I, I don't dwell on that because I, I, I honestly can tell you that I did everything I could possibly do on a baseball field. You know, if, if somebody said, what, what one thing would you want to do? I'd love to have hit a few more home runs because I might have style going around, but I wasn't a home run hitter. I knew exactly, hey, Larry, I, Larry, I knew exactly I, what I was. <laughs> I got to tell you something. My girlfriend at the time, probably my first girl, she was your biggest fan. We really? Were the, we were in the stadium about four rows behind the dugout. You're, when you hit the grand slam against the Reds. Joe Horner. The, yes. Yep. And I'm telling you, you made her year. <laughs> I made my career on that. <laughs> left center field, right? Yeah, it was left center. And, and in fact, I'll, I'll tell you exactly what happened. You know, and I showed a lot of emotion on that because, you know, let's face it. Yes, you did. That, that was a once-in-a-lifetime thing for me. But I and literally, after the game was over, I called over to Joe Horner because he had pitched for us, you know, <laughs> with the Phillies. And I said, hey, Joe, really, he says, I, I don't want to. I said, I, that wasn't showing you up. I said, I was just like, oh, my God, I just hit a grand slam. And he says, you know the sad part about that? I've only given up one in my career. You got it. <laughs> Larry. So did, uh, you say something, did you say something to Concepcion as you were around in the base? Yeah, I, I did. I said, take a ride on that. Because him and Pete used to tease me about getting singles and doubles. So, you know, we had, we had a little running feud every time we played those guys. I'll, I'll throw a couple other names at you for the Hall of Fame. Since you were manager for both of these guys, Utley and ha- uh, Utley and Rollins. Um, no question. Uh, Jimmy, for sure. And, 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 and that's not dis discarding chase. The only thing, the only thing chase is maybe longevity, the longevity. I mean, as far as numbers and what he did, yeah, he's, he's up there. Uh, but Jimmy, 
go ahead and compare your numbers with with, with Jeter. Uh, to me, that's a no-brainer. And if, if he doesn't get in, and I'm talking about, I'm, I'm, I would think he would be a first ballot guy. I, I, you know, I might be prejudiced with him. Right. And I know he had an air about him that some pipe, some sports writers probably didn't like, or, uh, but I love that kid. And, Oh, he's also uh, Barry Larkin, isn't he? I mean, Barry Larkin's the easy comparison because of the power and the speed. No, no question. Jimmy did it all. I'm telling you, Jimmy, Jimmy had a great career. You know, everyone says, you know, Bo, you were the second best short. Hey, that's fine. Because be behind Jimmy, that's that's an honor also. But I, you know, I, I sort of feel a little bit special towards Jimmy because I was basically his first manager. And uh, what was he know, like to manage? Group, he was fun, man. He was fun. <laughs> you know, I I I I'll share a story with you. Uh, so I had him batting leadoff, and I would be out in the clubhouse, and Jimmy'd walk in, and he'd have this little this walk that he had, you know, and and I would try to. When he walked in the clubhouse, I say, Jimmy, do I have this down yet? You know, and I give that little strut that he had. And he says, no, no, no. He says, he says, you got to bend that leg a little bit more. And I said, how about if you bend it across the home plate a few more times? So <laughs> he, and he cracked up at that because the, the banner was going back, back and forth in front of the whole team. And everybody cracked up. But Jimmy, Jimmy was special, man. He, he was Larry, let me throw one other name that Kevin and I have brought up sometimes on this show. Dick Allen, who I know is Richie because he was Richie when right. I was watching. Yep. What do you think about him? He missed by one vote, I believe, the last time. Three years uh, ago. Coming up, what, Kevin? In December. December. I, I got to think he's got to get in. I mean, this guy was a tremendous hitter. Uh, I, had the, I, was, I had the fortune of playing with this guy a couple times. You know, he came back to Philly and you know, everyone talked about what a bad duty was and everything. I didn't see it, uh, but I didn't see stuff that went on off the field. This guy was, he was a true competitor. He was a good teammate and he could hit. And I'm telling you, this guy could hit. He'd swing that 40 ounce bat and hit balls to right center over roofs. Uh, I, I agree. He, I, I would be shocked if he doesn't get in on the veterans committee side. I think that uh, the time's right. And, uh, and, and Richie should be in it. Larry, I, I got to ask because I was covering your last couple of years uh, as a manager and then I covered Charlie. Um, right. I got to admit, if you had told me in 2005, you and Charlie would be hanging out together and becoming like it's this good scoreboard act every time at the ballpark, I would have been a little surprised. What's it been <laughs> like for you and him kind of through your roles with the organization? You drive to minor league games together, correct? When, when yep. Charlie's in town, yep, I know when, when Charlie was sick, you were there a lot at yep. the hospital, right? Just what has this been like for you guys and for you getting close to him? That would be a heck of a ride. Oh, we, um, a couple times I told him I'm going to drive because when he starts talking to hit and, you know, he takes his hand off the steering wheel and he starts swinging. I go, Hey, hey Charlie, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> but, uh, the reason I like Charlie, I mean, he's a great guy. Uh, once you get to know Charlie, he's, he's got a tremendous personality. Yep. He loves baseball. I think the one common thread is both of us eat and sleep baseball. And I remember, and he tells a story uh, down the instructional league in the late sixties, we were down there and he got a base. He, he had a double off the wall off a kid by the name of, we had a guy in our organization named Lowell Palmer at the time threw really hard. I remember Charlie hit the double and I was playing short and I said, man, 
I said, I ain't seen too many guys, you know, turn that fastball around like that. And he goes, yeah, he says, I can hit, man. I can hit. So <laughs> ever since that time, you know, I knew that he was, he was a good baseball guy. And, you know, he, he's the first to tell me, too. I mean, he's told me – if he's told me once, he's told me a bunch of times. He says, you know, when you came over in 2001, you had to change that whole attitude in the clubhouse and everything. And I said, you know, yeah. Charlie, you know, I was it was it was time for them to, you know, get a feel of what it's like to win. I said, and it was it was hard to change that atmosphere in that clubhouse. And we did pretty good for those four years. And then Charlie took over and they made a couple of pickups. And of course, Jimmy and and uh, and Howie and uh, and Chase all started getting their their gig together. And they started becoming great players like uh, like no other. And then they got a good pitchers. They got Lee and Holiday and and Hamels. So, I mean, it was perfect for, for Charlie to come in and, and take him to the next step. But I had a lot of fun changes, changing the chemistry and the attitude of that club because it was, it wasn't a good team and nothing against Terry Francona. They, they, they were terrible. I mean, they, they had no they talent been, in the system. They, yeah. They could have had the greatest manager in the world when Terry had them. They weren't winning any games. They but, had, uh, with Terry, with Terry, they had two players. They had Schilling. Right. It was a holdover, obviously, from when you were around with, with, with Fergosi and all them back in, in the early 90s. Right, right. And they had Scotty who came up, but Scotty's right. heart was never really in staying here, I thought. So, you know, and right. that's a whole different story. But, I mean. Yeah, if you don't have you don't have players, it doesn't matter. Yeah. If you're not, it, it doesn't matter who's managing the team. So you got to have you got to have the bullets to go out there every day. And, uh, you know, obviously, Charlie's team, uh, I had to rip them the other day because they had a mock. Uh, playoff between the 80 team and the 08 Jim Salisbury. Yeah. Four, four games of two. We won four games of two. And Charlie kept saying, how, how, you hit 375. We couldn't get you out. I said, man, because they, they concentrated too much on the top of our lineup. <laughs> and by the time they got to me, they were tired. So they let me get base hits. How is Charlie doing by the way? I, he's I, doing really good. In fact, he's chomping at the bit. He's ready to go. You know, he missed the entire spring. Right. And uh, he said, man, I gotta, I gotta eat some baseball. I gotta watch some baseball. So hopefully we get to do it, but you know, again, that's going to be up to the doctors and the scientists and uh, you know, we don't want it to have it come back and have this thing be twice as bad as it was when it first came out. I can almost guarantee yeah. Charlie's up watching the Korean league at three 30 in the oh, morning. I guarantee he was. I guarantee he was. <laughs> Larry, <No question. laughs> Larry, Boa, Larry, I appreciate you doing this. Thank you very much for wait, wait joining. A minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, Kevin. Yes. I got to ask if I can get a question. Go, and- go. Two nostalgic questions, Larry. Okay. I was in the I was in the ballpark for Black Friday, although oh. we left. He, he's he's before, out. Don't go ahead. Before the ninth inning. <laughs> right. If there was instant replay, he's out. Right. He's out. There's no question. And to this day, Bruce Proming, he told me why he called him. Say, he said Lopes at that time was one of the fastest guys in the league, which he was. And he says once the ball went off Schmitty. I said to myself, there is no way this play can be close. And I caught him off guard. I barehanded it on the fly and threw the ball to uh, to Hebner, and he was out. There's no doubt in my mind. He's out. That changes that whole inning. But, you know, that's yeah. the way it was back then. And I, I personally, I liked when it was the umpires didn't have the – I think there's a lot of pressure on them now with, with the instant replay, with the strike zone and all that. Each umpire should be different. Yep. And it was fun playing, even though you got a lot of arguments, it was still fun. And the other question I have to ask you, because I still believe, and after all that 80 team had gone through, I still believe the Astros series was the best five game series I ever watched 
you were part of it. Is that wrong to think that way? I mean, no, every, you know, every game, every game was extra innings except the first one. And, and the, the, the noise level in the Astrodome, I can't even begin to tell you. I've never seen noise like that. I mean, you, you know, when you're, down when you're in a dome, pardon? You're down three to Nolan Ryan in the seventh inning. He's not getting Ethan. Did, did you see his numbers uh, when he has the league going in the seventh? They were off the chart. Yeah. I mean, and I remember this. I was putting my helmet on, and Pete says, Bo, if you get on, we're going to win this game. And I went, you know, I'm saying to myself, Pete, you know, that's Nolan Ryan out there. <laughs> but I didn't say that. You know, I said, okay, I'm getting on. And you know, everyone talks about why they leave him in so so long. Well, if you if you recall that inning, I remember that inning. It was yesterday. I let off the first pitch. I got a base hit to left. Booney hits a double play ball right back to Nolan Ryan. The first pitch, it goes off his glove. Now we have first and second, no outs, and then we get a perfect bunt by Greg, Greg Rose, Rose. Yep. on the first pitch. Now there's three pitches, and the bases are loaded. And everyone want to know why they left Nolan because it happened so fast, but. Those games were unbelievable, and to go in there and beat them in Houston, and I felt to this day, I said, once we beat Houston, there was no pressure on us. When we got in the World Series, I, I felt we were going to win that series no matter what. And that was remarkable. And, uh, and that and the World Series was remarkable because you rallied from behind. I think you were down what four nothing in Game One. You were down in Game yep. Two at home. You yep. were down going into the ninth inning, of Game Five, in a series tied at two. Really, the yep. only game that you dominated was game six, and even then it was bases loaded with McGraw right. on the mound in the eighth and ninth, I think. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned game one because we were down 4 nothing, and we didn't, I'm not saying we were flat because you can't say you're flat in the World Series, but we weren't. We didn't have the energy I thought we were going to have. You stole second base, big, right? I did, and, and you know, Dallas had to, to hold on. I had a green light or a red light, and we are down four runs, and the red light was on, and I'm sitting there, and I'm saying, you know what? I think I can steal this base. And I got a great jump. And then I, when I slid in and the ball was bang, bang, I went, oh, my God. And anyway, I, I, I made it. And so next guy up, Bodhi, drove me in. We, we ended up scoring runs that inning. But Dallas said, you, did you see the red light? I said, yeah. And he said, well, I'm going to tell you right now, if you'd have got thrown out, you might as well just keep running. <laughs> I said, Dallas, I knew I could steal. He goes, it was both, bang, bang. I said, I know it. Guy made a great throw down there. <laughs> when you steal there, is that just to get your team going? I, that- I figured, you know, they probably everybody probably went, what's he doing? Down right. four runs. But, you know, it was only the third or fourth inning. It wasn't right. like it was the seventh inning. If it's the seventh inning, I, I pay attention to that. But we were down, you know, like I said, I, I don't know, maybe we might have been tired mentally more than anything because we went through a grind in that Houston series yep. and I figured you know what this might start us up a little bit and it, it worked out good Larry when Marty Bystrom threw that thing under um now it was okay. Dickie Knowles Dickie, Dickie Knowles, Dickie Knowles. Dickie Dickie. yep Dickie Knowles I'm sorry yep did it it seemed to me and it's been 40 years so I don't know if my memory is good it just changed everything no doubt. It was a game changer and it was a good one. You know, I don't, I'm, I'm not a big advocate of throwing anybody's head, but Dickie at that time, Dickie's really changed his life. He's, he's a super person. He does a lot for the organization. He does a lot for our young kids. But during that time, Dickie was a little crazy and uh, he threw a ball that I don't know how Brett got out of the way of it. And of course, Jim Fry comes running out and Pete Rose intercepts him and says, get back in the dugout. What are you doing? He said, you can't throw at him. And Pete says, Who's he? So we can throw at anybody we want to throw at. So, but that was a big, big momentum changer. There's no doubt in my mind. And people want to say, how can that change? It was, it was unbelievable 
how that fired everybody up in the dugout. I don't so. think Brett. I don't think Brett had to hit the rest of the series. Uh, well, I tell you what, he says that was the best knockdown he's ever had in his career. So it was a good one. It was a real good one. Larry, I appreciate you doing this. Be good. Be safe. Hope to see you at the ballpark at some time this summer. Uh, at All right, some guys, point, you got you. You guys stay safe, and uh, yeah. hopefully we're we're back at it pretty soon. Absolutely, Larry Boa joins be us. Good, Larry. Okay, take care. Thanks, Larry Boa. Our thanks to Larry Boa for joining us. Uh, the Phillies Wall of Famer. Uh, yeah, there's rarely uh, people, Mike, that you could say are organizational lifers or baseball lifers. Uh, Larry's one of them. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it wasn't all with the Phillies, but most of it was. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, people would put a Phillies cap on him if you had to put a cap on him. But, you know, he was with the Cubs. He's been with uh, on TV a lot. Um, you know, he's fulfilled a lot of roles. But I think in in his heart, the Californian is a Philadelphian. Yeah, and he's one who has stayed here. And, yeah, there was a – you know, we mentioned this in the interview with him. Yeah, there was a generation, that 70s and 80s generation, that stayed here. Uh, and it wasn't just the Phillies. It was obviously Jaws with the Eagles and a lot of the Eagles, uh, Harold Carmichael and all that. Uh, the Flyers of that era all stayed here and, um, you know, made a pretty good life out of for themselves uh, once, they, once they left here or once, you know, their careers ended, rather. Um, but where, where would you rather be, Manitoba or Philadelphia? Well, I mean, I, no, just, no I, I think there was a bond, and I think it's probably missing from sports a little. I, I shouldn't say missing. It's not totally missing. But it was a different world back then, Kevin. We, like I said, I went to the first Flyers parade when they won. It was none of the parades ever since that have been like that one mm-hmm. because it was just we showed up. And they were all drunk and, and they were, you know, the cars were moving about one mile. Uh, you know, they weren't moving at all wherever we were. And, and it was great. And and they were our first champions. I really don't count the 67 Sixers because for some reason, I don't think the city, it was just different. Mm-hmm. You know, the Flyers were the first and all our other teams stunk at that point, you know, and they were the ones that kind of revitalized and took us into that late seventies run where we have all, all the teams were good. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, amazing. I mean, think so many of those guys stayed. I'm, I'm thinking about it just off the top of my head. Luzinski stayed, Boa stayed, McGraw stayed here for a long time. He had the TV work. Um, you know, uh, I think Dick Ruthven stayed in the area, um, before he ended up moving to Georgia. I know later in his life, um, Christensen, all of them, uh, you know, there was a lot of them who stayed for a long time. That was the point. And is it maybe because the money was different back then? Like when you stayed, you know, when you came to an area, you set down roots, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think just me personally, it probably had something to do with money or whatever. But I think they probably just felt comfortable here. That's where they had their success. I mean, the, the one I think of is Dick Vermeil. Yeah. I mean, there's a California guy who still does the whole wine thing, so he, he still has his ties to California, but he he lives in Westchester or, or somewhere. Chester County, way. right. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, who's bigger than Dick Vermeil? Uh, and he could live anywhere he wants. 
Uh, a lot of the guys seem like they gravitated towards South, South Jersey. I know a lot of the flyers, you know, you would go to golf courses and there's Von Hextall playing golf. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't, you know, but back in the day, like those guys would go to Rexy's, right? Right. After games. And yeah, it doesn't happen anymore for, for obvious reasons. It just, it, it can't. But those were different times. They, they were, I think, and they weren't making a lot of money back then. You know, I don't think most of the guys on the Flyers weren't a whole lot richer than the people who were probably watching them. Yeah, and um, you're right. I mean, that that's what I think made part of them connectable, too. Well, um, I remember Dick Weiss told me one time, he thought one of the things that changed, the coaches and the writers used to be really tight. Right. You know, and he said one of the reasons was they were all basically in the same economic um, stratosphere. Position. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, if Jim Beheim was making, you know, $50,000 a year and Dick Weiss was making forty or forty-five, you know, they were basically the same. And then we saw where salaries started to get wacko, um, you know, and then all of a sudden you got guys who are making millions of dollars with writers who are maybe making, you know, 100000 or 75000 or whatever they were making. And it just – I think that changed a lot of it. Um, it's hard for an athlete now to identify with you or I just because, you know, they're, they're, I mean, it's just, you know, back when like Marty Bystrom was pitching, Marty Bystrom was probably a lot like you. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's hard to think of now, you know, uh, uh, Bob Kelly, you know, mm-hmm. there's a name I think of a guy who stayed around and had liquor stores and, and, and whatever. Joe Watson. And even like a very, yeah, Bernie Perrant is just one of us. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it is funny. I mean, it's just, it's, um, I'm not sure how much that, you know, is today. Like, I don't think Bryce Harper's going to maybe, I could be wrong. When he's done, he'll probably go back to Vegas because that's, you know, where he's from or where he's comfortable. And there's nothing wrong with that. Is that's it also, is, is it also part of the fact that those players had less transient? times i mean in a sense where you have players who bump around now you know four or five teams in a career even the better players yeah um yeah, some of that a, lo- a lot of guys maybe play for two or three at that point you know yeah but i remember back in the day before your time back probably before my time players had off-season jobs yeah you know guys who worked in the nfl we, we think of nfl players now as okay what did del ennis own the bowling alley or bowling i mean and, and like they sold insurance or they worked at a store or they did yeah del ennis bowling lanes i mean he, he mm-hmm. that was you know pe- people a lot of people probably remember del ennis as the bowling guy <laughs> and then they as much as he's Philly's outfielder um yeah yeah richie I mean, richie had a job ashburn had a job in the Phillies ticket office yeah it was just it, it was a, it was a different world, um, and that's okay. You know the world changes. It's it's that that's the, the way it goes. Uh, but we can't identify with athletes now like we identified with them then. Now we may look up to them more. We may hold them in. You know we may hold a Le, LeBron James probably the wrong example, but take the Sixers. I mean a Ben Simmons or, and I'm not saying that I, I ever thought of Julius Irving and me, and me as being equals, but. Um, Mo Cheeks, like, was a regular guy, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and it's just, you know, sports have changed. The money has just gotten nuts. It's not the athlete's fault. But the athlete the athlete can go wherever he wants now. 
you know, he, he doesn't have to stay in Philadelphia when the season's over. He can go wherever he wants, whether it's somewhere warm. You know, we, we never saw people back then gravitate towards warm as much as they do now. Like everybody wants to be somewhere where the weather's nicer and who can blame them? Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you won't want to spend winters in Philadelphia if you didn't have to. Um, but you know, let's move on to some of the, the notes of the week here. Um, yeah, one, have you been staying up to watch the Korean baseball organization's games on ESPN? Why would you ask me that? I didn't think you would. Well, let, let me ask you, let me ask you this. Okay. I, you know, I'm, I'm listening to Anthony the other day on, on whatever, and you know, all excited. Okay, whatever. So if you stay up till one o'clock, how much of the game are you watching? Are you staying up till three? All right. Four the first night I stayed game? up. The first night I stayed up, and there was a rain delay. Okay. <laughs> and game was postponed for like 10, 15 minutes also because there was a fire beyond the outfield wall that they had yeah. to take care of. Um. So what time did you go to bed? About three thirty. Okay. Why? If, if I, I'm, I'm not I couldn't to, sleep. I'm not, it was just that. that okay. That's fine. Yeah. Just one well, of those, like, hey, you know, you, it's why you're up anybody, and. But what, if, if if people are so bummed out that there's no sports or no baseball, mm-hmm. that they have to watch a league where you don't know anybody, um. Whatever. Although that, that's not, I mean, there's some former Philly, like Ben Lively is a pitcher over that's there. That's wonderful. I'm happy for Ben Lively. I don't care. Okay? All I'm saying to you is I, I'm i not a kind of guy that's going to watch G League basketball if that was the only thing available because some guy might be playing for the Sixers in two years. That's not me. That may be other people. Mm-hmm. God bless you. Go for it. Watch it. I'm just saying is I can't believe that people are so starved yeah, if the game was on at 8 o'clock at night, and you said, hey, yeah, I watched a game. Okay, fine. It's like watching CFL or something. If the CFL's on, and you'll say, oh, hey, there's a football game on. I am not that person. When, when And I will guarantee you when it comes back, if it comes back, Major League Bait or whatever, I'm sure I'll tune in a little bit. But if they're playing in empty stadiums in, in somewhere in this country, I'll watch the Phillies. I'll follow the Phillies. And I might watch some highlights at night, but I'm not, that's not me. I'm, I'm not, you know, so, so what's the next thing they're going to put on? Um, you, you know, the, the first soccer league, they're talking about the soccer league now, I think in Germany, is it? Bundeskela. I think that they're, they're, they're look like they're going to come back while people in the premier league are saying, no way we don't want to come back. Um, and then you have like Raphael Nadal, who I thought made a pretty good comment. Now Raphael Nadal can make this kind of comment. He said, why are we worried about 2020? Mm-hmm. Why don't we just say the hell with 2020 and we'll hopefully can pick it up. Yeah. He was saying like, let me start thinking about the Australian open and hopefully, and I think that's a really, you know, but you see the NFL, you know, was, you know, and I understand they have to do this, but I think sometimes you give people false hope that stuff is going to happen. And then when it doesn't happen, you know, like, okay, so Georgia reopened yesterday. Now there's pictures of people in Atlanta because it's Cinco de Mayo all over the place, no masks. And, and so what What does that, you know, so if you're going to play baseball or basketball or hockey this summer somewhere where there's no fans and you can make sure everybody's going to be as safe as possible 
the thousand or so people that have to be in that stadium. It's not just the, the 50 players. You know, there's people that have to be there. There's people that have to be at the hotels. If you can do that and it gives people something to watch, I'm all for that. I, God bless. Let, let's. But I just worry that we've become so obsessed with making ourselves normal again when we know we're not going to be normal for a while, and, even in the best case scenario. And next week, so, we're, next week we're scheduled or hoping to have Robert Costa uh, from the Washington Post on, who's the national political reporter, to talk a little bit about these type of issues because there's now a political element with sports. And Mitch McConnell was quoted as uh, calling um, – Rob Manfred, the, the commissioner of baseball, and encouraging baseball to play. We've seen Andrew Cuomo do that. Mm-hmm. We've seen this now from the White House. The White House wants pro sports leagues to get back up and running here as soon as humanly possible. But there's a danger here that these teams, or the, these leagues, have to take a bigger picture look at this. And I don't... I wonder if, and we'll ask Bob this, I wonder if there's going to be pushback from these leagues that they don't want to become a political pawn. In this but see, sense. I don't think they see themselves as political pawns in the sense that they want to make money too. Right. Okay, there's a financial stake for the NBA, the NHL, anything, golf, whatever. I, I, the, the whole going forward, Kevin, the whole tussle that the country and the world is going to have, but especially the country because – of sports is how do you balance the two? Mm-hmm. How do you balance safety with what we need to get back to? And th- I don't have an answer to that question. I know the answer isn't to yesterday in Atlanta, be on the street celebrating Cinco de Mayo. I am that smart, but um, obviously there's, there's knuckleheads running around and it, you're never going to get everybody to conform to what needs to be, you know, want to open restaurants. Hey, fine. But figure out a way to keep that restaurant safe while you're opening it and getting people back. Um, and as we've said many times, maybe it's doable. I, I don't know this, but the first person when you come back, they've already said in the Korean League, the first time somebody tests positive, and I'm not saying somebody will, but the odds But if it happens. They got to shut down for two weeks. Yeah. So could you imagine this country if, if baseball starts on July 4th, and on July the 10th, they're shutting it down for another two weeks. Because I don't think this country can take more setbacks, even though we know there's going to be setbacks. And a lot more people are going to die than was originally projected. That's just, there, there's no way of getting around that. Okay? But it's, it's to me, it's about if you brought it back the right way, and that doesn't even ensure anything. But you don't want setbacks. You don't want to stop again in July or August. We don't even know what the fall is going to be like. The NFL is telling us they're full board ahead, and that's fine. Maybe they can pull it off. But we don't think colleges are going to necessarily pull it off. So now the NFL is going to jump into the fray and put games on Saturday, and everybody's excited about that. You should be excited. Instead of being excited about the NFL playing on Saturday, think of the reason why they're playing on Saturday. This is no college football. Because 150 universities aren't going to be open. (laughs) You know, but, you know, we, 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 you know, they canceled the British Open this year. You know what? Next year, nobody's going to remember that they canceled the British Open. Mm -hmm. Unless, God forbid, they got to cancel another British Open. But 
the, these are just, you know, but but there's this insatiable need for us to get back to quote unquote normal. And I understand that, but it isn't going to happen this month or next month or to, just because we've said, okay, now we can go back. Mm-hmm. You know, think of the meat pack. Now, so much of this country depends on the meat pack, the, the food chain, the whatever. Those poor guys are being sent into plants where they say is unsafe or whatever, so we can have meat or food or, or whatever. I, okay, but don't you have to protect those guys or are those guys expendable? Well, and, and, and you're seeing the breakdown now. I, uh, there was a report last night that 20% of Wendy's have taken they have, bur- no, they have no, uh, hamburgers. no hamburgers off the menu. Yeah. And But yeah. I'm not worried about that. No, but, but, about but the idea of... The business thing of trying to keep the engine going yep. weighed against the human toll. And it's, that's... Almost imp- it's almost an impossible task, but we have to try it because because we have to. Right. I mean, that, that's just the bottom line. But I really worry, Kevin. I know I get on and people say, ah, Mike, you talk too much pot, whatever. It's my turn. Um, if the healthcare system, the nurses, the doctors, the food, whatever, if we have another recurrence or whatever as Fauci says we probably will or Brick Br- uh, uh, Bur- Burks. I, I always pronounce her name wrong and I apologize. Um, at some point, aren't these people going to break? And if they do, where do we go then? You know, we yeah. can deal with certain things and we can get around it, even probably in the meatpacking plants, I guess. I mean, but to me, if a certain number of meatpackers get, you either have to replace those you know, but someplace along the line, you're not going to be able to get a steak maybe for a while or something. That's just going to happen. But if, if you have not enough, if the, if we, if the healthcare system gets overwhelmed, where do you turn to then? I don't have, an I don't think there is an answer at this point. Let me, let me move no. on. Let me move on to something else here. Um, oh, we'll, I, I got to ask you my weekly question. Though. Go ahead. So do you think, Baseball, basketball, hockey, what do you think? Um, I think you're seeing enough things reopen and, and areas of the country where the numbers are going down um, that you will see in some form all three leagues. Okay. You think the baseball will be that, that three – no, I think they're going to try to play in the home cities at wow. some point without fans, but at some point in the home cities. Yeah, but don't you have to put people on planes and 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 all that kind of thing? I mean, that brings that brings another element into the equation. Well, we talked right? about that with Larry. It's it's going to be tough, but I think that they're trying. I think they're getting pushed by, and this is the political end of it. I think they're getting pushed by a lot of people in powerful positions who want this to happen and want it to happen as if it's normal. And that's where either Rob Manfred's going to have a big set of balls and say, nope, we're not doing it this way. We're doing it the way that's either, you know, the safest or just prudent or, um, or, or he'll cave in. And there's nothing, and there's nothing in Rob Manfred's background to me that indicates he won't cave into that. What about the Players Association? Do they have a say in all this? They have a say, but I think at this point it's not as much as... Look, if, here would be the options. 
You're either going to do it this way or nobody gets a check from May 31st on to next year. I understand that. I, I trust me. I get it. Um, now, here's my follow-up question. If this were not an election year, I, would I there can't, be so- I can't. I can't. No, I can't. because I, I don't know. Of, I don't I know. I think a lot of this is tied into the fact. We'll ask Robert that next week. Yeah, but a lot of this is tied into the fact, and I'm not blaming anyone, but I'm saying there's an election in six months, four or five months, whatever it is, six months, that the president now is trailing in the polls. Or, and that or at least close. Lose. Or at least close. Mean, yeah, it's close. Okay. And I think that he needs to show the country that we can be normal. So that the so that they don't vote on the fact that we're not normal and hey you're the president you should have made it normal whether that's right or wrong and I think that's where a lot of this is going and I'm rooting for the president because I live in this country I want it to be the way but when I listen to the doctors they basically make it sound like it can't happen so why would I think they're wrong and and nobody seems to to say that it's all like, well, this is important. This is important. This is important. And if, if 2 million people die, 2 million people die. Well, that's, you know, out of a country of 300 million people, that means I got a one in uh, 250 chance of dying. I, I don't know. I'm in a risk group. I, I'm, I'm just saying, and that maybe is the decision that has to be made. It's like, if you go to war, war you say, well, we're going to lose so many people. That's the sacrifice we have to make. Um, and that's, and that's, yeah, but that's where we're at. Yeah. I mean, really, that's that's where we're at. Let me let me get to an other topics here before we go. Um Howie Roseman was on a show last week. Oh, uh, you're gonna give me this quote? Go for it, man. And the quote was <laughs> I love it. <laughs> we wanna have two of the top ten quarterbacks in the league. Yep. Um it may be one of the dumbest quotes in Philadelphia sports history. It, it, and he said he's had a couple lately. He is look, they Kevin, as we said, they may prove themselves to be right. You know, Wentz may get hurt in week four, whatever. How do we know Jalen Hurts is one of the ten is going to be one of the ten best quarterbacks in the NFL? Nobody even gets into that. He assumes Jalen Hurts is going to be, and he might be. Mike, right Mike, now, Mike, a- answer me this question. How many times in league history has one team had two of the top 10 quarterbacks in the league at the same never, time? Once. Never. Once. Foles wasn't one of the 10. No, no. Oh, who, who are we talking not, about? Not this franchise. Any franchise. Yeah, I know. who. I'm missing somebody then. Who, who was it? How about the Niners with Montana and, uh, and Steve Young? Young. You're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, That's yeah. it. That's that it. Was, That's the only and case. That was, and that was, a, that was kind of a phony situation because. USFL um, folded. Th- Right, yeah, and he came back, and, and Steve Young kind of knew he was going to sit. And he was awful in Tampa years. Bay. Yeah, um, and that was 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, and, and here's but, the other part of this. They both hated the circumstances. Montana and Young hated that. Right, and then you force Carson Wentz to come out this week and lie. That's what you do. You force Carson Wentz to talk, and what is Carson Wentz going to say? I'm on board. Oh, yeah. Of course he's not on board. Of course he's pissed off. But he can't say that because he's not that kind of guy. You're putting Jalen Hurts in a bad situation. And, again, this may prove to work out. He, Jalen Hurts may either rescue them someday, be their starting quarterback someday, or get traded for something good. But 
you're basically rooting for Carson Wentz to fail. That's why you got Jalen Hurts. Because if Carson Wentz plays 16 games the next two or three seasons, Jalen Hurts ain't going to get a snap. So how are you even going to find out? How he's in, look, he won a Super Bowl. I'm not, but he did this, and so now he's going to tell you they didn't even have two of the top 10 quarterbacks with Foles. But Foles won them. He came in, won a championship, and then the next year won a playoff game and almost won another. I I get it. It's great to have a – they basically had the best backup quarterback in the league. And that's what he should have said. You know, we want Jalen Hurts to be there, um, ready to go. We think, what if Jalen Hurts turns out not to be that good? Nobody even talks about that. No. That's not even, that doesn't even come into the conversation. And you don't know. I don't know. None of us knows because. And, he, and in a perfect world, he won't play enough or anybody knows. Exactly. But he played in the system. Hey, he finished second in the Heisman Trophy last year. He came and he went like 28-2 and two at Alabama or whatever the heck he went, although a lot of quarterbacks do that at Alabama, but that's okay. He went to a system that's produced the two Heisman Trophy winners the year be- two before this, and those guys, I mean, Kyler Murray looked like he was like okay at the end of last year, and, and the guy at Cleveland, I don't think any of us would say, you know, right now they're top 10 quarterback, right? They're not even close, right? I'm guessing. I right. don't know. Um. So what mean, means that Jalen Hurts is going to be? And I'm not knocking by association, but he came out of a system that has produced quarterbacks that put up ridiculous numbers. You know, so, I mean, I'm rude. I like Jalen Hurts. I, he was my favorite guy when he came in that game and rescued them against Georgia in the SEC title game. I thought that was just such a tremendous story that he sat and did that. But, my God, um, you know, once again, Howie's telling you that he's the smartest guy in the NFL. That's what he's trying to t- And this organization, as you've pointed out, that's won nine games each of the last two years, I think. Now, they've made the playoffs three straight years. That's Not many Philadelphia football teams have done that. Right. I'll give them that. But don't – I think they're just – Don't, blow, don't blow smoke up my butt and tell me it's, you know, peaches and cream. It just isn't. Here's the, here's the problem, Kevin. Until Jalen Hurts fails, we can't say, you know, we won't know the answer to this until two or three years. But what if um, Wentz gets hurt in game three? And Jalen Hurts, God forbid, comes in, even though we don't think he could do it this year. But he comes in and he looks good and he keeps the Eagles afloat or they win games or whatever. What is, is Are we going to apologize to Howie? Me? Or say, hey, Howie, we were wrong. So I prefer just to say it's our opinion and most people's opinion that they, they could have taken someone that would have helped them more. I understand having a good backup quarterback is important, and, 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 and that helped them win a Super Bowl. No doubt about it. Um, but this notion now that, you know, all these things are thrown around about the quarterback factory, and and that's just a bunch of, of baloney. Uh, you know, was Sudfeld, is that a quarterback factory guy? Was the guy they drafted, Thurston or whatever that guy was from Northwestern? Thurston, yeah. Is that a quarterback factory guy? Well, you know. So shut up, you know, but. Well, and meanwhile, on the other end, we see the Dallas Cowboys who, you know, look, they have a, they have a quarterback that they're trying to figure out a little bit and where, where his value is. And Dak Prescott's been healthy and they go out and they get signed Andy Dalton this weekend as a backup. And 
maybe a little bit of a bet hedge um, in case, you know, Pre- Dak Prescott ends up regressing or in case the contract situation gets untenable. But it's a smart move by Dallas. It, it, it doesn't hurt them. But see, there's it's a short-term move. The Eagles, I think, were making a long-term move. They weren't making this for a year or two. And they don't have to pay Jalen Hurts very much money. Um, but look at what the Saints did. Yeah. God, the Saints got Breeze. They got the guy that they just signed Hill. for an extension. And they went out and got uh, James Winston. I mean, I think as an Eagle fan, now look, we don't know what shape the season's going to take, but assuming they're going to play and whatever, would I almost, depending upon who they would have got with that second pick, mm-hmm. if they would have got a starter with that second pick, let's say whoever they would have taken, to bring Winston or Andy Dalton in here as just a backup, you know, a guy, would you not a Not that? a danger to be the starter either. Exactly. And I don't think Jalen Hurts is a danger this year to be the starter. But two years from now? Who knows? I'm, I, if the set, and here, and you know, I'll, I'll give Joe Giglio credit for this. I heard Joe in the car the other night. Giglio's point, and it's well taken. If in two years, the Eagles feel that Jalen Hurts and Carson Wentz are equal in talent, or even maybe Wentz a little more ahead, but in the same ballpark, Jalen Hurts is going to be your starting quarterback in 2022 just for the economics of it. Well, yeah, but what do they do then? They just cut Wentz? You trade Wentz or you cut Wentz, yeah. So you, you just cut Wentz, and don't you have to eat a lot of that money? No, no. The salary cap, a lot of things are front-loaded on the on the on his contract. Okay. I, if the Eagles drop Carson Wentz when he's like in his sixth NFL season, then they're bigger idiots than I thought. You don't drop Carson Wentz. You might make Jalen Hurts the starter, right? And you could you could work the, the trade, paying him thirty million dollars a year. That's if fun. if the cap move if the cap number is not bad, then it's not a bad trade. If somebody wants him, yeah, you, you don't know if if the Eagles are saying he can't start over Jalen Hurts. Oh, but here Denver, you take him because you know you're stupider than we are. I mean, this whole thing is built about somebody failing somehow, some way. And it's basically number 11. You know, either he's going to get hurt. Right. Or he ain't going to be as good as we thought we... I, I think it's more a hurt thing than he ain't going to be as good as we thought he was. But they're not going to say that. And nobody's going to say that from within the organization. Um, But you're, you're almost... If you're the Eagles, are you rooting against Carson Wentz at some point? And it goes back to me is, how did the Eagles know how good Jalen Hurts is if he's never on the field? That's what I don't understand in all this. You know, we kept hearing how we didn't know how good Sudfeld was because we never saw him play. Right. Well, how we go? Well, we're going to find out Jalen Hurts can play in an exhibition game, and I'm going to get all excited about that. Are they going to give him two series a game to go in and play? Well, that's stupid. You know, if Carson Wentz leads the team down the field for a couple touchdowns, oh, it's Jalen's turn now. I mean, really? Like you said, Kevin, no other franchise does that. But you know, they are, they are, um, they are unique. Uh, well, look, if three years from now, Jalen Hurts has rescued them and he's starting and he's a top ten quarterback in the league, uh, 
they're going to look so sweet and they're going to sit there and say, Hey, see, this is why we did it. Right. And so until that day either comes or doesn't, I'm, I, I'm just saying for a team that needed so many things. Now they might've screwed the second round pickup anyway. Right. They might've taken the wrong guy. I, I, you know, their history of drafting is not that one is the next show we do. You're going to, I was looking at this the other day. You're going to get the draft list of like their last 10 to 15 number one picks. Mm-hmm. See how bad they are. Oh, I know. If you take out like Lane Johnson and Carson Wentz, there's nobody else that jumps out at you like, wow, you got that guy? And well, you're counting Brandon look, you're counting Brandon Graham in that too. So Brandon Graham's okay. He's been an okay player for them, who had a great moment in the Super Bowl. Don't tell me Brandon Graham's great. Let, um now they're looking to get rid of Derek Barnett for crying yeah. out loud. Let me wrap up here with this uh, and completely change topics and kudos. I want to give to our buddy, Mike Silski, who I thought wrote an outstanding column on the last dance um, the other day. And after watching episodes five and six, and this weekend, obviously you're dealing with Jordan switching the baseball and everything. um, Basically called Jordan out for bullying in this documentary. uh, The memory of Jerry Krause, who has been dead for three years. Um, and ridiculing Jerry Krause and, you know, belittling Jerry Krause. And, and Mike's column was basically, you know, you're seeing kind of what the person Michael Jordan is. And I know Mike got some heat from Colin Coward on it yesterday, but you've watched the documentary. I, I think Jordan in a lot of ways comes, comes across as, as petty and a little bit sad. Well, two things. Jordan bullies everybody. Yeah. So it's not just Jerry Krause. And Jordan wasn't the only one making fun of Jerry Krause. Yeah. Like, let's get that straight. Uh, Scotty Pippen made fun of Jerry Krause. And Scotty Pippen may have had a legitimate beef, uh, had a legitimate beef right. with that contract against Jerry the Krause. The coach made fun of Jerry Krause. Here's my problem with Jerry Krause. I think Jerry Krause, and he might have made some really good moves as a general manager. I'm not saying he didn't. Drafting Scotty Pippen, get. Coach. He thought he was bigger than Michael Jordan yeah. and the Bulls. He wasn't. Sorry, Jerry. The reason all that happened was not because you put pieces around Michael Jordan. Yes, that's part. It's because Michael Jordan was the greatest player or the second greatest player in history of basketball who had a will to win and took you to six titles and probably would have been seven or eight, but that's okay. And Jerry went around basically telling people, it's almost like, a, but is there something unseemly? But is there something unseemly when a guy dies of not, of not calling bygones be bygones? Uh, Even Scotty Pippen, if you remember the episode on Pippen, I think it was episode two, uh, where Pippen's like, "Look, I had problems, you know, but Jerry did a great job in in gathering Jerry's, the talent." Jerry's around. not Michael, you know. Michael's Michael. You mean Pippen is not right? Michael? I mean Pippen. Michael Jordan is the biggest icon that we've probably ever seen. Maybe Muhammad Ali, but I mean, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods. Michael Jordan's Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan hasn't spoken to Charles Barkley in eight years because of something Charles said, criticizing the way he ran. Yeah, the, and, uh, and Charles Charlie. actually saying today that he doesn't think that that'll ever be mended. But and that's fine. But Jerry Krause is not blameless in this, in the sense that Jerry thought, I he said it, the quotes in the thing, I saw the, the org, it's about the organization. Right. And he said that 15 times. Well, fine. It's the organization. the organization. But the organization also has the greatest player on the face of the earth. So 
yeah, should Michael maybe have handled it differently? Yeah, but he's not going to because he doesn't have to. No, because he's Michael. And, and yep. honestly, Michael does what Michael wants. Uh, yes, he does. All right, so next Wednesday, Robert Costa from the Washington Post joins us. Pensbury grad. I'm, look, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, Pensbury grad, uh, Notre Dame grad, I should point out. Uh, so, you know, for me, that's like everything. And uh, the National Political Reporter and also the host of Washington Week on PBS. Huge Phillies fan, huge Eagles fan. We'll talk a little sports with him, and we'll talk about the political pressure these leagues could be under coming from Washington. We'll talk to him about that next week. Bob Ford joins us next Friday to talk about his remarkable career uh, as the uh, columnist at the Philadelphia Inquirer. Bob's final column actually ran online today. So if you get a shot, read it. It's on the pen relays, and it's really good. Michael? Talk to you next week. Have a good weekend. You got oh, it. Bro. Oh, by the way, happy anniversary to my wife and I today. It's four years. Uh, Bessie, I love you. I got to say that. You're, so. you're a pup. Yeah. Thank you very much for joining us, guys. We'll see you next week. This has been Work of the Beat. <laughs>